thought it would be well if I, this morning, left some of the areas that I've been teaching you in and talk to you a little bit about Yom Kippur. As you know, the great high holy day of Israel starts at sundown tonight. It's very important to us to understand what that high holy day means. For in it is involved all that we know about Jesus Christ. You remember that Paul says in his epistles, salvation is of the Jews. And then he goes on to say, For what advantage hath the Jew? Much in every way. In that to him were the oracles of God delivered. In other words, he's the one from which all of our faith stems. We trace our faith back to Abraham. Abraham is called the father of the faithful. Abraham's faith is that which we emulate. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And then we're told in that fourth chapter of Romans, if we go to the last verses of the fourth chapter of Romans, that it was not for Abraham's sake or David's sake that these things were said only, but for our sakes... For if we believe like they believed, you see, in God and in his word, then the redemption that comes by faith shall also be ours. Now, they looked forward to the Messiah's coming. We, from our position, look back to the Messiah having come. In another place, Paul says, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. You see, it had to appeal to the Jews first. After all, all of Jesus' ministry, all of his apostles are Jewish. All of Peter's ministry, Peter is the apostle to the circumcision, all Jewish. It wasn't until Paul came that the revelation came that this gospel was for the whole world that the Old Testament had made clear that a prophet would come and that the people would refuse him and deny him. You can read Isaiah 53. You can read many portions of Scripture that his own would deny him and refuse him, but to as many as would receive him, to them he would give the power and the privilege to be the sons of God. And so all that we know stems from the Jewish people about Jesus Christ. Now, the Holy Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is the richest and most blessed of all the holy days of Israel. Tonight at sundown, as the Jews begin, I doubt you'll see at least any of the Orthodox Jews in stores tomorrow, and many of their businesses will be closed, and most of you will have a hard job getting a morning paper. This is their high holy day. 
And so from sundown tonight till sundown tomorrow, this is the day. And during this last 10 days, they are supposed to have, have gone over their lives, as it said in Newsday, Yom Kippur is the high holy day of Israel, a day of atonement. It's observed by prayer and the searching reappraisal of the individual's behavior in his relationship to his fellow man and to his God. For all Jews, it is the holiest day in the whole year. Now, we might wonder, from that it sounds as though it is just a holy day in which they look over their lives to see what their lives are about. But this is not what it was originally. Originally, it was the Day of Atonement. It was the day in which the great sacrifice for sins was made by the high priest of God. It was only one day in the year. I would probably, and I'm quite sure this is true, I, I dread saying that the man who tried to burn the mosque over in Israel, they claim he's a, a fundamentalist. Well, this troubles me a little bit, you know, that uh, he's a, a Bible-believing Christian, but he took things into his own hands like Moses did and Jacob did and a lot of other people did, and he mistakenly thought if he could burn down the mosque where the original temple of God was, where the sacrifice was made, they could then build the temple and the sacrifice would be made there and he would thereby make possible the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ quicker than he expected. And so you can see how the mind can go in thinking of these things. And so his thought was that if he could burn it down, they could then set up the temple of old and there they could have the sacrifice again in the temple. But beloved... The sacrifice in the temple was of such a character that it spoke of Jesus Christ and him alone. Remember in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, the epistle of Paul to the Hebrews, he says this in speaking of himself. Jesus Christ says, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me. And here he's speaking essentially to the Jews. And he is saying to them, in the whole volume of the book, it is written of me. If you look anywhere in your Old Testament, you will be able to find me. And the very day of atonement that my father laid down for you is the very picture to you of my great sacrifice that should come. And I would be the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. And I would end all the bloodletting of bulls and goats which could never take away sin. And I would come and give myself as a sacrifice for men's sins that they could know that their sins were not only covered but were taken out of the way that they might enter the Holy of Holies and the veil rent in twain that you might enter in. And so those sacrifices of old had much to say to us. Now maybe if I gave you just a little picture of it, you would have some idea of what it was like. Let us say we're speaking of the tabernacle, which, of course, they used in the wilderness. In the tabernacle of God, I'm not going to go into the measurements. You can read those in books. 
the measurements of the tabernacle. It's in the scriptures. But the tabernacle of God was an oblong place. It was made out of special type woods. It had special silver sockets. It was a lot of gold used in it. It was glorious curtains of purple and blue and gold was used profusely through this tabernacle of God. And it went with Israel wherever they went. The tabernacle of God, they would raise it up. It was that type thing. It could be set up quickly, sort of what we would think of today as a prefabricated house. Israel had it. Israel took it along with them. They could set it up wherever they went. Prefabricated. The staves were made. The sides were made. The curtains were made. But wherever they went, that had to go with them. And then, of course, the Ark of the Covenant had to always go with them. And here is this oblong place, and it was fairly large, not uh, near as large as this church itself, uh, but it was fairly large. But it wasn't so large because it didn't involve the congregation. It was mostly meant for the priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood. God had a purpose. Outside was the outer court. This is where all the people gathered. They all made their trip, and they would go to that holy place, to Jerusalem, and there they would gather round, and all of the people in the court. And then the next place was the building. Inside the building, for two-thirds of its length, was the holy place. And then for one-third the length, was the holiest of all. That was in the rear. The priest had a function which they performed. Their major performance was once a year. But the Aaronic family, the family of Aaron, they always had access to there. This was the holy place, not the holy of holies. That was only entered into once a year for the sins of the people and only by the high priest of God, that's all the Aaron priesthood. It was either Aaron or his sons. They were the only ones who were allowed to enter into the holy of holies. But outside, that was the holy place which took two-thirds of the building. Then outside was the great court where all the people stood. And here we can think of the Levitical priesthood or the Aaronic priesthood, and they had access to the holy place, not the holy of holies. That was for Yom Kippur. That was for the Day of Atonement and the Day of Atonement only. If you were to ask a Jew today, where is your sacrifice? He has no sacrifice. Today, in an Orthodox temple, instead of a sacrifice, they have a glass of wine and they would put it on the floor and crush it as though it represents the blood of the atonement. That's all that they would have, very little else. This is in some temples. In other temples, they have other things. But many have different ways that they observe Yom Kippur today. But the original intention was that there would be a sacrifice that would take care of the sins of the people. Now, in the Holy of Holies, which was the last one you could approach, in that place there were two things. May I say there were seven things in the tabernacle. But in that, pla that place there was but two things. There was the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat above it. Nothing else. The golden censer would be at the door, 
with which they brought the sense in, the incense from the outside in the altar of incense to show incense toward God. The sweet-smelling savor was the sacrifice to God. Jesus is called a sweet-smelling savor unto God. And so they would come onto, into that single place only once a year and then only by the high priest. No one else. Aaron himself alone, he would be the one that would go in. Now, during the rest of the year, they could use the holy place which was before it. In here, there were several things. There was the altar of incense. There was the table of showbread, which had 12 loaves of bread on it, which they refreshed every week. There was also the candlestick of seven candles. And there was also the brazen labor and the brazen altar outside, just outside of the holy place. And so all of these elements were involved in the Yom Kippur observance, but the outer place here, the holy place, this could be used by the priesthood. It had a purpose. Here's the table of showbread. It has 12 loaves on it, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. The priesthood comes in, the Aaronic priesthood comes into the holy place, and that bread was for their eating. It was the table of showbread. It indicated to the priesthood that all Israel, 12 tribes, were one. And the 12 loaves, loaves indicated the 12 tribes of Israel. And when the priesthood would come in of this one family and one family alone, they were allowed to eat of the 12 loaves and every week it was fresh. When God speaks of us, he speaks to us and he says, and ye are one loaf, one bread. Ye are members of my body and of my flesh and of my bones. Jesus says, ye are one with me. Now when the priest went in, there were 12 loaves of the 12 tribes. And the really, while the oneness was there of the 12 tribes, there wasn't the oneness that we have with Jesus Christ. This was the picture of oneness. But it tells us that Jesus Christ is the head of the body and we're members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. We who have believed on him, he is the one. Remember Jesus in the great high priestly prayer when he is in the Gospel of John. And he says, Father, that we all may be one. I and thee, and thou and me, and they and us, that we might be one. And this high priestly prayer was a picture of those 12 loaves, those 12 tribes of Israel, and the high priest of their profession was Aaron, and as the epistle to Paul to the Hebrews says, the high priest of our profession is Jesus Christ. And just as Aaron's sons were members of his family and privileged to eat of that bread, so we are members of God's family by Jesus Christ and faith in him, for we have become the sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why Luther said we are a priesthood of believers because we are the sons of God and you can't be a son in the family unless you have priesthood. So Peter says, you are a royal priesthood. You are a peculiar generation because priests have access to God and you're part of this glorious priesthood. And so with Jesus Christ as our high priest, we are the serving priests. 
Oh, now I, as I've said, don't go out to the people outside and say you're a serving priest. They look at you as though you, you've flipped your lid. But this is what God says concerning you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. He's saying to you, you are a serving priest. You are part of my family. Can you be less than a priest? If I am the high priest and your father is my father and your God is my God, then what are you? And you can't answer anything but one thing. I am a priest. Since I am related to God, through Jesus Christ, the great high priest of our profession, as Paul calls him, I have come into this glorious relationship with him. And so those 12 lobes showing the 12 tribes of Israel and the privilege of the high priest of partaking of all the 12 tribes and making them one so that he could go to God for forgiveness for them is a picture to us of our great high priest who whatever lives to make intercession for us so that we have a high priest who's touched with the feeling of our infirmities, tested in every point as we are, yet without sin. And this is a high priest who lives eternally, not like the Aaronic priesthood. They died. Some were good and some weren't. But we have a high priest now who's entirely different. You don't have to look at Pastor Gian and how good he is or how bad he is or how good a pastor or how bad a pastor he is. You don't have to look at anybody else in the congregation. I would pray that you'd pray with me that I'd be a good pastor. But this is not the base of your faith. It isn't a matter of how anybody else acts in the congregation or sometimes people will say, oh, I don't come to church anymore because I was hurt. I don't know why you came to church in the first place then. I don't know who you worship. I'm here because I worship Christ. And if everybody in the world was against me, it wouldn't affect me one iota. If everybody in the world offended me, it wouldn't matter a little bit. Why do you think Paul says, be offended in nothing? Because he knows you can't be offended by people or you'll forsake the house of God. So you're offended in nothing, he says, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, make your requests known unto God. And then he says in Matthew, and he who heareth you in secret will answer you openly. And so there is to be this, this, this infinite, this holy faith in him who is one with us. Isn't that wonderful to know he's one with us this morning? Isn't it? Not like Israel of old going into the 12 loaves and saying that 12 loaves here, but Jesus says to us, you're of one loaf. You're one bread. You're one with me. Where I am, there are you seated now. We are seated together, where? With Jesus Christ in heavenly places. My life is hid with Christ in God. One with it. I can't be lost. I can't be lost. Unless Jesus can be lost. Because he's in me and I'm in him. And he has said, Father, that we may be one, even as they are one in us, that we all may be one, I in them, and they in me, that we may be one. What does the scripture say? If we be dead with Christ, then are we also what? Risen with him right? Risen with him so that you're one with Jesus Christ. Look at the candlesticks. 
This is the first thing they see as they come in. The priests come in to the holy place, not the holy of holies. This is the first place they come in. Well, let's take it as they come in. Here is the high priest. He's preparing, let us say, for Yom Kippur, the holy day. Here he comes down in all of his glorious vestments. They're purple, they're gold. No religious group in all the world has ever had the high priestly garb of Israel. You don't see it anymore. But the high priestly garb of Israel was one that would become the envy of the kings of the earth, braided with gold, purples and blues and all of the glorious colors. They got all their wools from the Orient. Everything they needed had to be of special character. And these glorious garments, the high priest comes forward that he's to perform this this thing that is so important to the people of Israel, the day of atonement, the day when all Israel has made a pilgrimage like the Mohammedans do to Mecca. The copy has been made. They have to have some place to go. The Mohammedans, who are the offshoots of Abraham's illegitimate relationship to Hagar, Muslims, claiming Abraham as their father 180 times in the Koran, making their pilgrimage to Mecca, praying to Mecca. And the Jews having the child born of faith, the child born through Isaac. When Isaac was long past age, Abraham long past age when he had a child, Abraham, Sarah, having the child, and then Isaac, and then down to Jacob, and then the 12 tribes of Israel, but here are the pilgrimages, and go in, and the high priests, and all the crowds, and they said at times there were two million people. You know, I think of Billy Graham preaching, and I, I realize that his, his, his television message goes out to millions and millions. But I think of all the crowds. I think of how St. Peter's Basilica is sometimes crowded, and they'll say there were half a million people there. And so to say, isn't this tremendous? The Roman Catholics have gathered to Rome. And then I see Israel of old, and I see them all gathering in for Yom Kippur, for the Day of Atonement. And I see the high priest Aaron and how carefully he goes about his work. He has to be careful. His two sons have just been struck dead. His two sons tried to enter the Holy of Holies at the wrong time with strange fire. And God struck them both dead because they had to do it exactly as he had directed. And I see Aaron coming and all the people hear him coming. Oh, they know it's him. He's walked from that place where he lives right there at the tabernacle. And as he crosses, he was a man that was garbed in raiment that spoke of the very glory of God. And he walked across that long place to go into that holy place where he would prepare the sacrifice. And as he comes, they hear the little bells on the bottom of his garment. And every step he takes, the bells ring. And they see him in all the glory that speaks of the glory of God. And he comes, and he is to prepare for that which is to come. He has brought with him two kids, two goats. The one goat, it says in, in Leviticus 17 and 16, 16 and 17, the one goat is to be the Lord's lot. The other goat is to be the people's lot. Two goats. He also has with him a bullock. That is to be a sacrifice for him, the high priest, he knew he wasn't sinless. He knew that he needed forgiveness. And so he had a bullock for himself and for his family. 
and he had to offer that bullock. And so he comes all prepared. The two little kids are with him. Perfect, it says, without spot and without blemish. Perfect little ones from the flock. And he brings them along with him. And he gets to the, uh, the court, and then he gets to the place where the holy place is before the high holy place, the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant is, and that glorious mercy seat above it, which will speak to his heart of the forgiveness of God. And as he comes, he comes first, and the brazen altar, where he's going to prepare himself, but then there is the brazen laver. You know, I, I'm not going to read you all the scripture. If I did, it would take me the whole time. So I'm going to give it to you, and here's what I want you to read. I want you to read Leviticus 16 and 17, two chapters. I want you to read Hebrews 7 to 10. These are the chapters to read if you want to know the whole story of the atonement. And so he comes to the labor, the brazen labor. Do you know what the labor was made out of? It was made out of brass. Do you know where God got the brass to make the labor? Does anybody know? It was made out of the mirrors that women looked into to frill themselves. Because the mirrors of that day were brass. And so it tells you in Leviticus, he takes all the mirrors of all the women, and out of it he makes the brazen labor. Now the word of God, you see, is clear when we get to the New Testament. It says, be ye not hearers of the word only, but doers of the word. Lest ye be like a man who looks into a mirror and seeing himself, see, in the word, seeing himself, he leaves and forgets what manner of man he saw in the mirror. So the mirror is a picture of the word of God. That's what the word of God is to us. And so the labor for washing was the labor of the word of God. And so the priests of old washed in the water in the labor which had been a mirror, which could show people exactly what they... You know how you look in a mirror, don't you, ladies? Sometimes you look early in the morning and you, you know, please, wait. Because it shows you, you know how you take fil films sometimes, you know? Do you ever notice how people look through films? You know, the photos? You look at them and when you're not looking, they tear up the ones that don't look any good and throw them away. Or someone will say, that doesn't do you justice. You're being very nice. I don't know what you get out of a camera unless it's just. I don't know what you get out of a mirror unless it's true. And so the mirror, the brazen labor, was made of the mirrors of the women. And it was a picture of the Word of God. The Word of God, which... Jesus tells us, now are ye clean through the word which I have given unto you. You see? Now are ye clean. Well, the priests, they had to go to the water and they had to wash their hands and their feet. Two things. The hands speak of the service for God and the feet speak of the walk. And so they had to clean both. Their service was not what it should be, not what it should be. So they cleaned themselves in the brazen labor. Then they went about the sacrifice, and they made the sacrifice. And he made his own sacrifice of the bullock previously, 
and he brought it with him. But the two kids that he had, he made their sacrifice. And he took them, and there was the candlestick. That lit up the whole place. Without the candlestick, it was absolute darkness. All God was saying to them was this. If you go by natural light, you will never see the things of God. May I say that again? If you go by natural light, you will never see the things of God. If the priests were to walk out of the tabernacle outside, they couldn't see the things of God. When they went in, there was the sevenfold candlestick. It was the center stem, the staff that led up and fed the oil to all the other candles. Speaking of Jesus Christ, the vine and the branches, and how he feeds us through the Holy Spirit of God. For the oil always speaks in the Bible of the Holy Spirit of God. And so the oil came up through those candlesticks and fed. And then in the book of Revelation, we find that Jesus speaks of the seven candlesticks of the churches and how he'll remove them unless the Holy Spirit is in the church. Why do you think churches today are removed? Why do you think the churches may be big in attendance and have lots of people but no power? Because this candlestick has been removed, taken out of the socket. No place for them. There's no oil being coming from the Holy Spirit of God given by Jesus Christ that they might know life and light and be able to give it to man. And so the candlestick is there. Of the two kids, he does two things. He takes the one. This is the Lord's portion. Now, this is quite amazing. The one kid that he sacrifices is not yours. It's the Lord. We're liable to think the other way. For instance, here's a statement you and I make. I have to make my peace with God. I'm sorry, you'll never make it. God wants to make his peace with you. Because you may have a lot of ideas of how to make peace. You may say, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. To you, that's peace with God. God made peace with us by the blood of the cross. And so the first kid, perfect and sinless, was the sacrifice. The second kid was for the people, and that was the scapegoat. He sacrificed the first one. This was the Lord's portion. It glorified God in his attitude toward sin. It said, for sin, someone must die. This is not man's way of doing it, God says. There is a way that seems right to man, but the ends thereof are the way of death. Man will come with his works, as we read this morning. He'll boast. He'll come with his work. This is not how he'll make peace with me. I will make peace with him. The first kid of sacrifice, the goat, the first goat, is the goat that is God's portion. It's glorifying God. The high priest is Jesus of old. It says, and he entered into the holy place and into the holy of holies, not by the blood of bulls and goats, which could never take away sin, but he entered by his own blood, having made one sacrifice for sins forever. 
Oh, I hope you can grasp what Christ did. This first one was God's portion. Israel was saying to God, when I sacrifice, it's your portion. I'm not making peace with God. You're making peace with me. I'm going upon the base of your word. You have directed me to sacrifice for sin. Someone must die for sin, either the sinner or the substitute. And Father, you've received the substitute. This is your portion. I believe in you and your way of redemption and atonement on this day of atonement. And so the sacrifice was made of the first kid, and that was God's portion. I'm glad God made peace with me. I'd always be worrying about how to make peace with God. I'd get all mixed up. One day I might do something that's not right or wrong or might be something impure or unclean. Or I'd wonder, how does my peace stand? Well, I don't ever think about that. God's made his peace with me. I may fail him as a son, but I'll be his son because he made his peace with me and my life is hid. Oh, I'm so thankful for that, with Christ in God. My life is hid with him. No one can take me from his hand. I give unto you eternal life, he says, and no one can pluck you from my hand. It's an impossibility, don't you see that? Why? Because I made my peace with you. Did I provide for Israel's sacrifice and how they did it? Did they determine what to do or did I determine what to do? I determine what to do, God says. All right. In the case of Jesus Christ, my own precious son, did you determine that he would come from heaven and he would die for your sins? Or did I determine that? You determined it, Lord. Then how do I get peace? God wants to give me that peace of God which passes all understanding by the acceptance of Christ's sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. Then the second goat. Ah, what did he do with that? He sacrificed the first goat and said, now, God, this is your portion. Imagine, here the people, you know, you have an idea. Well, the sacrifice is, is them. He's going to say, I did the sacrifice. No, not at all. He says, God, you read it in Leviticus, it's glorious. It says, the Lord's lot is the first one, the sacrifice. He says, Lord, I've honored thee. You told me how my sins could be forgiven and the sins of my people, and I am thy high priest. You have appointed me. And therefore, I have given this sacrifice to thee that it might honor thee. It might under thy purity and thy holiness and thy righteousness. You cannot overlook sin, and so you've provided for me that someone should die for sin, and I thank thee this, this little kid, this goat has died for me. And now, Father, I do the second thing. I place both my hands on the other goat. Now, Lord, I confess all the sins of all the people, confessed and unconfessed, things I know nothing about, I place them now on the second goat. And now a fit man shall take him out to the wilderness and he will go to a land where we will never find him. And as far as the east is from the west, so shall our sins be removed from us. How beautiful. Christ died for my sin. Your sins I will remember no more. And so Israel pictured to us the twofold glory of Christ, the forgiveness of sins, which is first. 
that glorious moment when Christ died on the cross and paid the penalty, that was God's side. God could look down and say, a substitute died for you. And then in my own heart as a man, I could say, now, Lord, I am forgiven. Atonement has been made. But I want to thank you for something else. My sins are forgotten. Help me to forget. That's it, isn't it? That's it. Remember in the, says in the word, and their sins I will remember no more. They are in the deepermost parts of the sea. And I will remember them no more. Now that had to be done, if I might say this, every year, I close with this, every year because it says a remembrance had to be made every year of this holy, wonderful day of atonement. But then Hebrews tells us that these priests offered many times in many ways the same sacrifices, which could never take away sin. But Jesus Christ came and by one sacrifice of himself hath made perfect forever them that are saved, sanctified. What a difference. What a difference. Why do you think John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets, that's what John is, you know, he points to Jesus and he says as an Old Testament prophet, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. What are the Jews looking for? They're looking for a Messiah to come now. The Orthodox Jews, they're waiting. He's come. He's fulfilled all of the types and the characters of the Old Testament. The mercy seat within the Holy of Holies. The law was in the Ark of the Covenant, the broken law. Above it was the mercy seat. When the sacrifice was made, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies and he put the blood. There was no seat there. The work was never done. Christ sat down when he finished his work. He sat down at the right hand of God the Father since the work was finished. The high priest couldn't. He brought the blood in. He put it on the mercy seat above the law. And God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And then he would walk out, doing it it so carefully. He would then go out and walk out. And he had put on, before he walked in, the simple linen clothes of humility and taken off all those glorious garments, became as Christ did as a man. He came and paid the penalty for our sins, the Son of Man who died on the cross. And then when he finished, he came outside and he redressed in the holy place, and then walked out to the court. And all the two million Jews gathered there, first starting from that first little periphery around him. As soon as they heard the tinkle of the bells on his garment, they would know, oh, our God, Jehovah, has accepted the sacrifice on this day of atonement. Our sins are forgiven us again. And the great shout would begin in the periphery and it would well up till all the two million. You'll see it, it says, with a great shout, they thank God, sins forgiven. Christian, 
When is the last time you really thank the Lord for your salvation? Salvation is of the Jews. Christ came that he might fulfill the law and be the Savior of men. But, oh, beloved, is he your Savior this morning? Do you really know him? The high priest now, he's the high priest. He can't die. I'm so thankful for that. He ever lives, it says. He says, look at me. Behold, I am he that was dead, and I am alive forevermore. You'll never have to worry about a high priest who's a human being who may have failures and flaws because I'm your high priest. You can enter in through the blood into the Holy of Holies. Now, the, the veil was rent in twain that was between the holy place and the Holy of Holies. It was there. It never would allow anybody but Aaron to go in. But the minute Christ was crucified, Christ risen, beloved, the veil of the temple was rent in twain, telling them, look in, the Holy of Holies is open forever. You'll never have to have one man going in for your sin now. You have a high priest in heaven. And from every spot upon the earth, you can reach him because he's touched by the feeling of your infirmities. Do you have him? Do you know him? Let us pray. Now, Father, we thank thee for Yom Kippur. We would that, as Paul says, I would that my people Israel might believe. He even goes so far as to say, I would be accursed from Christ if all Israel would believe. He was willing, though he knew it never could be. He said, that's how my heart feels. If all of the Jews could be saved, oh, how I would rejoice. Father, we're thankful for the picture it gives us of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. We pray this morning, if anyone's here without Christ as their own Savior, they might really believe. This is not some new thing. We're told that. It says this thing has not been done in a corner. It's not been a hidden thing. God revealed it to all mankind. So, Father, we pray this morning that if any heart here has not yet trusted Christ as personal Savior, they will come to him. Truly trust in the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. While our eyes are closed, and just as I close, there may be someone like to say, Pastor, pray for me. All eyes closed. Just put your hand up. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I never realized how much is involved in the sacrifice of Christ, planned by God from eternity past. Anyone? Just say, Pastor, pray for me. I'll not ask you to come forward. Just right where you are, put your hand up. Pastor, please pray for me. Please pray for me. I want this Christ. Anyone? Just as I close, just put it up so I can see it and then take it down. Anywhere? Anywhere? Yes, I saw that hand. Lord bless you. Anyone else? Just put your hand up. Say, Pastor, pray for me. <coughs> Quickly, just as I close. You've never done it before, and here's the time for you to make that decision. Quickly, just one minute, and I close. Anyone else, just put that hand up high. Say, Pastor, please pray for me. I want Christ in my heart as my Savior. 
Anyone? One moment. Are you hesitating? I'm not going to call you forward. No one's looking around. Here's that time to put it up before I close. Quickly. Quickly. Now, our Father, we thank Thee for the opportunity of preaching the gospel of Christ in relationship to the Yom Kippur of Israel. We pray for this one who raised her hand that she might be wonderfully blessed of God and that her decision is real for Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.